Good morning, it is Nancy. I'm coming to you uh, right now from a really beautiful location in upstate New York. I'm looking out at the trees and at a very blue sky and happy Sunday morning to you. Uh, for new PyTalk listeners, I put these out Sundays around nine o'clock and the object is that you can listen, or the objective is that you can listen to it while you're making your coffee or just puttering around. And I do talk about food but I talk about some other stuff too. Oh, and I do always give you a recipe. So welcome if this is your first time listening. Um, so today I am going to talk about hoisin chicken. So hoisin chicken is super easy. And I found out it's very popular because I've had a lot of people live with me over the years, live with me and my family, whether we were in Los Angeles or in Portland, Oregon. And when you have a house full of people, which we always seem to, which I love actually, um, you know, you have a roster of meals that you're making and it's going to be something we would call uh, American goulash, which is basically, you know, macaroni with tomato sauce and a giant squirt of, of um, uh, ketchup and some cooked chopped meat. Um, I would also make, you know, obviously make steak, I'd make chicken, but the hoisin chicken is the winner because it's very, very easy. I'll give you the recipe at the end. But the reason I thought about talking about this is because of the people that came through the house that loved it and how they wound up in our lives. So I'll tell you a few stories about that. My daughter, we moved from Los Angeles to Portland um, in 2004 when she was uh, 14 years old. And she started a big giant uh, public high school, Grant High School, which is where they filmed Mr. Holland's Opus, which I've actually never seen, but which is, I guess, very famous. It's a very, very sort of iconic looking American high school. Meanwhile, my kid had gone to tiny, tiny little schools in Los Angeles. Um, one school she went to was called the Oaks. There were 120 kids in seventh grade. You knew everybody. All of a sudden, she gets to Portland and it's, you know, there's 2,000 kids. It was a bit of a rough landing. She didn't want to come to Portland um, at all. She was just like, what, what are we doing here in this town? She was kind of snippy about it. And I think kind of trying to melt into that school, it wasn't easy for her. It also wasn't easy because the kid can't do math. Um, she never has been able to. They told me that uh, in second grade, maybe we should do some tutoring. We tried all kinds of things. We tried tutoring, we tried Kumon, tried playing different games with her. I had her educationally tested. I came up with the, what, what I realized is that, um, um, you know, your your brain is like a house and in her house, the room where math lives in her house has no floor. It just, it just falls through. So she, I, she was failing math right away. She always had. So I went to, um, I went to the head, the principal. And meanwhile, she was testing talented and gifted in the other things, you know, reading and art and, and everything else. She was history and writing. She was super good. And I was like, look, can we, do something can we maybe i don't know get her put something else instead of math you know i don't know maybe a photography or a science course or something that she could fulfill it and the principal who i did not like very much and i did not think was particularly bright told me no we couldn't do that but we could put her in um what's it called uh for kids that are kind of slow learners so we could move her down so she could be slow and everything so we didn't do that. So what did we do instead? Seven different times she had to go to night school. I waited uh, in the parking lot 
across, oh, special ed. That's what it was called. We could put her in special ed. I was like, this is just ridiculous. But you know, when you're at a big giant school where it's just like be, being run by the state and you got certain things, like you have no way to, there's no way to compromise or come up with creative solutions. Um, in any case, so she went to night school um, three times for algebra, four times for geometry because she kept failing. And finally, she was a senior. She wasn't going to graduate without this stupid geometry course. And the teacher who knew this is the fourth time he's had her. He said, look, sit in the back and draw me some nice pictures because she's a very good artist. And he, he passed her. So bless this teacher. I never met him. I didn't know his name. In any case, the point of the story is um, Tavi, my daughter, always, uh, she always was kind of the youngest of her crew. And she had a dear, dear friend, uh, Mary, uh, who was at our house all the time and used to stay with us all the time. Um, and when Mary was graduating, she was a year ahead of Tavi, um, she came over and she was standing in the doorway of the kitchen. I was, of course, cooking something. And she was so, she was crestfallen. And I was like, what, what happened? And she said, my mom told me today that she's moving to Alaska and she'll be gone next week and I have to find a place to live. So meanwhile, the kid was graduating that week. I said, Mary, you will always have a place to live. So she moved right in with us and um, she lived with us for a little over a year. I love Mary. She's one of my, my favorite humans. And um, we had a few people would say things like, oh, you know, that's so nice. I was like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. She brings more to us than we could bring to her. And she's just such a hard worker. And she would, you know, when she got out of school, she was had a job. She had to be there at 530 in the morning. She always got there on time. In any case, Mary's favorite meal was the hoisin chicken. So every time I make it, I think of her. Um, I, I wonder if she makes it. She's married now. Oh, Mary. Um, we've had so many people live with us over the years uh, whether it was like downstairs in the basement where they made themselves a little room or I had a little writing studio and little, it was almost like a little, not really a guest house because there was no, there was just a sink in there. Uh, when we lived in LA, my friend who's a production designer, she lived there for years. Um, people that just need a place to stay for a while. My truly one of my favorite people on earth is my husband's nephew, Tyrone. He lived with us for about two years. Some of you know that Tim, my, my late ex, my daughter's dad, he lived with us for a year uh, when he went through his first bout of cancer and then the second one um, that he did not survive. He lived with us then. I now have a small um, apartment in Chinatown, though it's actually not that small. It's, um, it's a pretty big one bedroom with a lot. Of, it's just spacious. It never feels small when people come in. They're like, wow, this is cool. Plus, we've got the half pony apartment where we have the recording studio. Um, but I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you, I think nine people have keys to my apartment. So it's my daughter, her brother, not my real son, but my son, Blake, uh, all of the fifth column guys, Liz Wolf from Reason Magazine, Yael Bartour, who you know from the Ask a Jew podcast. Um, maybe another friend of Tava's, Robin, she has a key. Uh, probably forgetting someone, but here's the deal. It's not that they're all walking in all the time. A lot of them don't even live in New York City, but you know, it's nice to have a place to go and it's nice to have a place to go 
not just like, oh, I'm coming over, we're gonna do something special, but like if you don't really need to do anything special at all, if you just need a place to sit for a little while or take a nap or, sorry, I'll be, I'll be blunt. Um, <laughs> when I was looking for a place, when I first moved back to New York, um, Blake and Thomas, they both live in Brooklyn at the time, and they're like, mom, mom, get a place in Manhattan so when we're there, we have a place to poop. So, you know, that's important too. Um, it's just, it's nice to have, but why is it also, you would say that's very generous, Nancy. It's really not. It's really selfish. And you know why? It's because I get to cook for more people. That is one thing I have spent most of my adult life in a home with a family with lots of people in and out. And cooking is something I love to do. It is very, very rarely taxing for me to cook. Um, I remember when um, my daughter was little and I was working really hard supporting the family and I would get home from whatever job I was doing and my, my ex, Tim, would say, why don't you just relax? Like, why are you going in the kitchen and baking? I was like, because this is relaxing for me. Anyway, having a lot of people that have keys to the house, they can come in and I almost always have something baked uh, on the counter. It doesn't mean you have to eat it. It doesn't mean you have to tell me, oh, wasn't that nice? I don't care. It's just there. And for me, I'm, it's very fulfilling for me um, to be able to do this. And as I have said to people before, certainly when we had a Paloma Media, Garden, we still have Paloma Media, we still have the recording studio, but we shut down the, um, the website, but we still call it Paloma. Um, people come over, they're passing through town. Uh, if you have a book coming out or if you have an event that's going on in New York or if you're like, oh, Nancy, I have a book coming out, but I don't have a place really to have a book party or I just want to meet up with some people, hit me up. Um, we have done this for people. We had we threw Kat Rosenfield's first book party, which was smashing. We actually had the, um, in the in the studio, we had the video going the whole time. We have a YouTube channel and people just wandered in and out and could see us like talking and uh, Jesse Single was there and the fifth column guys, people just like sitting down and talking to the camera and talking to people if they were watching. Um, and speaking of Kat Roosevelt, her second book, which, what is the name of it? You must remember this. Guys, guys, I love this book so very, very much. I, I, Man, I couldn't stop reading it. I would, I missed a bus. I was waiting in New York City for a bus. And I, apparently it came and went because I had my nose in the book. So that's a good, I think that's a, um, a good pump for, for Kat's book. And she's great. Um, speaking of great, we've been talking about it on the podcast. But in case you don't listen to the Smoke em If You Got Him podcast, because we do, we do paywall the second half of the episodes. Um, um, wow, I just completely... Oh, oh, we've been talking about the new um, podcast put out the uh, Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, put out by our Barry Weiss's uh, company, The Free Press, and produced by Andy Mills. Andy Mills um, was one of the creators of The Daily. He was also uh, created and produced, uh, produced or was part of making uh, the very, very spectacular New York Times um, podcast called Caliphate. Uh, that is hosted and created by my friend uh, Rukmini Kalamachi. So I highly recommend um, all of those, uh, all of those uh, shows. But you should check out um, the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. So I am sitting here, looking out over this beautiful property, and it should be a very calm day, and it is in a lot of ways. But I guess I'll just add before I give you the recipe that this is going to sound so corny, guys. Sound like a Hallmark card. Family is what you make it. You know, it is, um, 
the people that come to you when the chips are down, when you're in the barrel. I had a tweet up recently um, talking about how very strongly, I, actually, I don't know if I was talking about how very strongly I feel about how you have to reach out your hand when someone is, whether they're being you know, canceled. Nobody likes that expression, but it's the one we have. And at a certain point, maybe we just better say, okay, we're just going to use it. Um, but when people are, are in trouble, and maybe they don't even know you. Someone I, I don't know, he, I, he's kind of a colleague. I think we've written for the same publications. You know, he had something, he's dealing with a very bad health crisis. And just to send somebody a message or to really um, come in and stand up for them. Anyway, the tweet I put up was, you know, when, when things were terrible for me. Oh, what was it we were talking about? Oh, I know what we were talking about. It was when we, on the um, podcast, we had Jamie Kerchick on the podcast of, uh, talking about his story that he did about Army Hammer and how Army Hammer, how, how terrible he felt. And I had said, he said, you know, you know, I think this is Hammer. It's not a direct quote, but he was saying, I, I understand that people who didn't stand up for me, I get it. You know, your house is on fire and they are, they're not going to run inside. The tweet I put up was when my house, when my figurative house was on fire, Barry Weiss and Matt Welch did run in and, and Barry chimed in and she said and I'd do it again and I would obviously do it again for her and guys if you're not if you're not reading the free press I know this is sounding like a big uh, uh, advertisement for my friends and I guess maybe it sideways is but that's not why I'm saying it I'm I'm you know if you're listening to this we probably have some overlaps unless you're hate listening which is if you are welcome I will send you and make you some cookies um we are living in a time of such weird contentions and colleagues calling out colleagues, like what we saw happen in the New York Times last week, though, was kind of heartening to see that um, both the, um, the response from Joe Kahn, the head, the executive editor, or whatever his title is at the Times, as well as, um, as well as the pushback from people inside the building who were like, no, we're not doing this. And apparently, they got really hot with a meeting with the Guild because the, the, the newspaper guild or the Times Guild for the past couple of years has been really kind of getting its way, helping people get drummed out of the, um, out of the paper. We've talked about this a lot. Um, I mean, specifically with, um, with Donald J. McNeil Jr. But it was interesting that no more, no more. So when, you know, I, I heard Katie Herzog say it today um, on Blocked and Reported, and my friends and I talk about it a lot. Sarah Heppel and I probably talk about it here. It's like, is, are the tides changing a little bit? Are people going to say no more? No more. We don't want to just keep, you know, excising people and saying they can't work anymore. They can't live anymore. They can't have a job anymore. Uh, we saw this last week, you know, the whole thing with the kind of stealth editing of Raul Dahl's books. And that came out and people were not happy. And a broad swath of people not to say anything of the kids who were, were not all, all of a sudden going to trust them to just read this stuff and, and understand that it is, it is a fictional book that they are being swept into and enjoying without having it all kind of like cleaned up to, to today's, this very, very minute's taste. Okay, what happens in the next minute? What happens next month? What happens when you're not the person that's at, um, what was it called? The... Um, inclusive minds or whatever the, the, the consortium that of, of people that cleaned this up. Well, what happened? That was the British publisher Puffin of, um, of Dahl's book. Well, um, I guess I can't remember who is the American. What is it? I don't, I'm going to get it wrong. I'll put it in the show notes here. Um, they said, you know what? 
You know what? We're all going to put out classic editions so people can read the actual books. I had a comment about that today. It's like, okay, so you're cleaning up the books, or they did, they made these edits, which means, I mean, that's going to cost a publisher something, right? You've got to redo it for both print and digital. And I'm going to assume that kids are still reading print books. So that's a cost. And now it's like, oh, oops. Now we have to come up with yet another edition that is the classic edition. This is going to cost some money. I think, you know, some people are not just looking at the sort of ideological wars we're having, but they're looking at the bottom line. It's something that people sort of forget when you run a business, that there is a bottom line, that you actually have to have a business make money. Another thing that I read this week was that um, NPR is cutting 10% of his staff. Um, Well, yeah, you know, yes, of course, media across the board, things have changed. Yes, we know that. But also NPR has gotten pretty deep into the bag for like one particular side. That is not the way it used to be. And um, maybe they're losing listeners. I do not know. Maybe someone can respond to me here and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, their numbers were, you know, they used to be X and now they're Y. Um, Okay, let's get to the recipe, shall we? It is so, so easy. Um, You're going to set your oven to uh, 375. Uh, You're going to get some chicken thighs. Thighs, leave the skin on, guys. Chicken skin is so delicious. Don't take them off. But if you had to, you could. Um, I actually, if you've got like a little rack that fits inside your baking pan, that's good, but you don't need it. Um, Throw your chicken thighs in there, as many as you want. I usually do six, 10, eight. This stuff lasts, man. This is very, very good leftover stuff. So, you know, you can make more. Then you roast that in the oven for about mm, about half an hour till they're getting like a little crisped up. Then in a little bowl, you're going to mix up some hoisin sauce. If you don't know what it is, it's sort of like a sweetened, thicker soy sauce. It's really yummy. You can find it in any um, in any uh, supermarket or definitely in any Asian store. I thin that out with a little soy sauce. So you're probably having about like four to one hoisin sauce. Pour that on and maybe brush it on if you can and let that cook, oh, I don't know, about another 25 minutes. You want it crispy, um, the skin crisped up with the um, the hoisin kind of crispy and yummy. You're going to have some, some juices in the bottom of the pan, which is like a little bit of hoisin and soy and the chicken fat. That's great. You can take that and put that like in a little container and use that. You're going to serve these chicken thighs with rice and a cucumber salad. The cucumber salad, I peel the cucumbers. I slice them, I I take out the seeds, and I just cut them into like little, they look like little half moons, not too thin, and I mix it with rice vinegar and uh, a little bit of sugar and salt, that's it. I mean, if you wanna throw some basil in there, you can. I also like sticky rice. I don't know if you've tried sticky rice, you've probably had it, maybe at a Thai restaurant. It's a little little bit trickier than making regular rice. Um, You have to soak it for about an hour in water and then you don't cook it in water, you kind of steam it. I'll try to find a link here to making sticky rice. It's really, really good. And that was kind of Mary's especially favorite thing was the sticky rice. So you've got this simple, simple meal. It's the chicken thighs with the hoisin sauce. The sticky rice or regular rice is fine too, and a cucumber salad, and everybody's happy, and you've got the leftovers the next day, and it's not expensive, and you can make it for as many people as you want. So there you go. There's your Sunday morning. Maybe you will have it for Sunday night dinner. Um, Thanks, guys. If you like this, please subscribe. Um, I usually put these behind a paywall, but I thought I would like people, maybe people are like, what is that pie talk we're talking about? Now you know. Um... Sarah drops her 
um, Smoking Diaries every Friday evening. What's going to be coming? I'm actually recording this for you on a Friday. And um, I hope you will have had a wonderful weekend. Thanks.